to do what I'm supposed to do and unmute. But it's a privilege to be with you today, uh, especially on this occasion. Um, we're very grateful in the Lord's blessing of your minister and his wife and family with another precious little one. And of course, that's what we're here today to do, to ask the Lord's blessing upon her, her life, and to bring her before the Lord today. Let's do begin and bow our heads and our hearts together and seek the Lord's face in a word of prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come with the echo of this hymn and these words of Scripture, and we ask that you might draw near and give the grace to, by faith, take up these words. And Lord, the many words, and perhaps most of the words that we will read today will be familiar, and yet they're your words. They're living and powerful words. And so we ask that they will bring faith and expectation to every heart. Draw near to us. Lord, we pray especially for the Tomassians as a family and for Leah especially, that your grace that your providence, Lord, the lines fall into her in pleasant places. But Lord, we pray that you will put a hedge about her and about this home. Lord, we know in particular the home of a minister, often a home of different trials, different temptations, different assaults. And we pray that your special protection will be upon them one and all. Lord, bless us in these moments. Stir our own hearts as well as we would be reminded of the truth of your word. And we pray and ask it all in Jesus' worthy and precious name. Amen. I want today to begin by reading perhaps a very familiar psalm on such an occasion. But if you'll turn to Psalm 127. Much of what we will occupy ourselves with, at least in the opening moments of our meeting, will be the reading of Scripture. And so let us, with eager hearts, ask the Lord to bless the public reading of His Word. Psalm 127, a song of degrees for Solomon. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, The watchman waketh, but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. So we come today to look at the scriptures, and these are familiar words of this psalm. But I want to put our Bible readings in two categories today before we come actually to a text that we'll consider together. And the categories of these scriptures are very plain, those of the covenantal promises that the Lord makes with his people, and then those of the obligation of parents, of believing parents, to bring up their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. 
Our God is a God of means, and He uses means. And one of the great means of bringing up children, of drawing them to Himself, is the exercised practice of a godly home and of godly parents. But we'll read together. If you want to turn with me to these several passages, please feel free. You may turn quicker than I will. I don't have enough ribbons in the Bible to mark all of these. But Genesis 17 and verse 7, some of these will be very brief readings of one verse, other uh, more lengthy from uh, the passage itself. But Genesis 17 and verse 17, or verse 7 rather, to open these with regard to the covenantal promises. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And then over to the book of Deuteronomy, several readings from here. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 37. And because he loved thy fathers, therefore he chose their seed after them and brought thee out in his sight with his mighty power out of Egypt. And then just over a page or so to chapter 7. Chapter 7 and verse 7. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you because ye were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people, but because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And now over to chapter 10 in Deuteronomy. And from verse 12. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God, the earth also with all that therein is. Only the Lord had a delight in thy fathers to love them. And he chose their seed after them, even you above all people, as it is this day. And now over to the New Testament scriptures, the book of Acts, chapter 2. I'll not comment much, as you've already seen on these readings, but in this particular passage, there's a term that Peter uses in the Pentecostal sermon, and Paul, you'll find in Ephesians and Galatians in particular, Romans as well. The word promise, it figures very prominently in the Scriptures with regard to God's gospel covenant. Acts 2 and verse 39, For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So the New Testament scriptures, the very onset of the New Testament experience of the church, reckons upon that same gospel promise. And then another text in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is one where we to have time would be worthy to expound somewhat. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 14. 
For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy? And just briefly on that, this is not a promise that Paul is saying that the child of a believer is automatically saved. The word holy there is in the more strict sense of sanctification, something that is set apart. And the truth he's putting forth there is that to keep that home in that context, as you'll see, intact, is a blessing to the children. It, it, it gives them a, a position of being set apart unto the gospel, of being in a home where the gospel prevails. For that believing, even one believing parent, to have that connection with the child and show them Christ and take them to the Scriptures from their earliest days. They are set apart in that way. But now turning back again to the Old Testament, I want to read several portions with regard to the obligation of parents. Lest we think that these promises and many other portions we could read are without, again, those means that the Lord chooses to use and bless. Genesis 18 and verse 19 This is the Lord commenting upon Abraham. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. And then again over to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. And then over to chapter 11 in Deuteronomy. A repetition of some of the same phrases, but I want us to read this portion as well, for there's an additional phrase at the close of this reading. Deuteronomy 11, beginning in verse 16. Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. And then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you. And he shut up the heaven that there be no rain and that the land yield not her fruit unless ye perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord giveth you. Therefore shall ye lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. And ye shall teach them your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt write them upon the doorposts of thine house, and upon thy gates, that your days may be multiplied, and the days of your children, and the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers to give them, as the days of heaven upon the earth. I will pause for us all and for the Tomassians in particular. What a phrase. What a promise. 
And yet, what an obligation within our homes to so follow the Lord, to so read His Word, to so put the Word before our children and ourselves, that it may be said of our homes that it's like the days of heaven upon the earth. Our culture, there are people that are born and they don't ever experience anything that resembles even a home. But to have a believing home, to have a home with the fear of God, the love of God, and to come from this world every day and to be closed in with that family and it be like a foretaste of heaven. Sadly, there are even many professing and genuine believing homes in our times that there's not a lot of heaven or the atmosphere of heaven there. What a text and what a promise as the days of heaven upon the earth. And finally, one other reading in the New Testament scriptures in this heading of the parental obligation. Second Timothy, if you'll turn there. Second Timothy chapter 3. Some of these words may have been committed to memory by many of us. But Second Timothy 3 and verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. We know from a previous portion of the book that tis mother and grandmother that are in view here. Knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child, and it's interesting, in the New Testament there are a couple of different terms for children, uh, one more general but another with reference to the infant, the smallest child. And it's that term that is put before us here. Timothy, from his infancy, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise into salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. And now I want you to turn with me, if you would, to the book of Romans. Romans. Chapter 2, actually, the closing verses of this chapter and the opening verses of chapter 3. These are the words that I want to use as our text today as we turn to the Scripture for a few moments of meditation. Romans 2, verse 28. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. What advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. I want today to... Turn your attention to the question that Paul uses at the opening of chapter 3 and verse 1. Or actually, the closing of that verse. 
The second question. What profit is there of circumcision? Now, if you know anything of the arguments, and believe me, the arguments are many. Uh, In the good sense of that word and often in the bad sense of that word, we know the arguments that surround the Christian ordinance of baptism are great. But paedo-baptists make much of the New Testament's connection between the Old Testament ritual of circumcision and the New Testament ritual of baptism. In Colossians 2, Paul brings these together. And again, that forms a, a, a good portion of the paedo-baptist argument from Scripture, and it's not my purpose here to argue that one way or the other. I appreciate, greatly appreciate, our denominational policy of openness. Sometimes I even jokingly say I like belonging to a denomination where I can change my mind about baptism about once a decade. Uh, I haven't done that. I've been tempted to do that, but I've been on both sides. I've, uh, well, I still do both. Paedo-Baptists also believe in believer's baptism, but that's, again, for the class and not for the pulpit here today. But the connection uh, in the mind of Paedo-Baptists is strong. And so the application of this and other texts to what we're here today is strong as well. If you know anything of the book of Romans, you'll remember that Paul very often in Romans will teach something and then he'll stop and he'll ask a question. And what he's done is he's anticipating a question that arises in his readers' minds if they get what he just said. Now, a classic example of that is chapter 6 and verse 1. Paul says, what should we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, look at the context. Paul's anticipating a question because what he's taught in chapter 5 is that our justification, our salvation, is based entirely upon the work of someone else. It's not built in any way, in any shape, or any manner upon anything that we do. It's entirely the work of Christ for us. The whole doctrine of imputation, he's put before them in chapter 5. And so Paul says, now, if you get what I just said, this question is going to pop into your mind. Does it matter then if we continue to sin? I mean, if we're not saved by stopping sinning and doing better, and then God looks at us and says, you know, he's really, he's changed his ways. We're going to bring him along. If you get what I just said in chapter 5, that your works have nothing to do with your justification, then you're going to ask this question. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And of course, he answers that question in chapter 6. Well, that's what he's doing here in chapter 3. If you get what he said in the close of chapter 2, you're going to have this question. What profit is there of circumcision? And so I want to consider this question from two aspects. First, the spiritual reality that prompts the question. What has Paul said again in verse 2 or chapter 2? He's not a Jew which is one outwardly. 
Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. He's a Jew which is one inwardly. Circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit and not the letter, whose praise is not of men but of God. He's unfolded, again, if you're familiar with Romans in chapter 1, the, the, the depravity of man, the, the, the utter lost condition of the nations before God. Then he comes to chapter 2 and says, even Israel that was so blessed of God and had been recipients of his promises and of his presence and of the exodus and all of those things, they themselves have no claims before God on their own. Their ceremonies, these outward privileges that they possess, this stuff they do called church, doesn't have anything to do with the salvation of their soul. You can have all of that and be lost. It's true in the Old Testament, same as the New, some of the language we use. The difference between a visible church and the invisible church. The difference between those that are merely religious, even professing an orthodox religion, and those that are genuinely born of God. And the spiritual reality is there's an absolute necessity of conversion. There's the absolute necessity of the new birth. We're not gathered here today to make Leah a Christian. There will be no magical formulas performed by some priest washing away original sin in her case today. It is an outward ritual that we perform. And so the spiritual reality that prompts the question is, you need more than circumcision. You need more than baptism. You need more than ritual. You need reality. You need to be born again. And if you go through the Old Testament, the close of one of those readings are a little beyond it, which we didn't read. Deuteronomy speaks about a circumcision of the heart. Jeremiah and other of the prophets in their preaching against Israel's sin and apostasy speaks about their lacking circumcision of the heart. They merely had a circumcision of the flesh. And so the spiritual reality that prompts the question is, you need more than ritual. Leah will need more than baptism. She will need to come to own the covenant. She will need to come to personal conversion. And that is the Tomassian's prayer. That should be your prayer as a congregation. To use every means in by example, and through the opening of the word to show her the gospel, to show her Christ, to lead her to Christ. But the second thing I put before you is this. There is a sudden retort that probes the question. Paul says, if you understand what I just said in chapter 2, that circumcision is outward, And in a sense, it does nothing for you. You're going to think, well, what profit is there? What profit is there of circumcision? How does he answer it? Much every way. Much 
every way, chiefly, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. And that is what we read in that brief reading in Corinthians of your children being set apart. There is much profit in baptism. There is much profit in bringing this child before the Lord today. There is much profit in challenging these parents in this home to follow on in the pursuit of the Word of God. You think of children elsewhere today born into horrible circumstances that will not be under the nurture and admonition of the Scriptures. Can we count it a light thing? A meaningless thing? That she will be brought up in the church? In a believing home? Not at all. There is advantage in every way. Chiefly because that under her will be committed the oracles, the words of God. And there is expectation. There is joy that follows on from the pursuit. Yes, of the New Testament ordinance of baptism. And in that nurturing in the fear of God in the home. To Armand Melanie, may the Lord give you grace to be those covenantal parents. May the Lord give you grace as a congregation uh, to walk before Leah and before their home, before all of your homes in the fear of the Lord and with confidence and expectation for the Lord to bless his living word. I'm going to ask the parents if you will join me here on the platform We have some questions. We're happy to repeat over the years. In our church, I have a couple families. We've repeated them too many, 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 many times. But it is not a vain thing. We have some siblings joining as well. You guys can... um, Take part in um, presenting the scriptures to this little one too, you know. But Armand Melanie, for you, these questions. Is it your profession that you each know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you experienced the new birth? Yes. And do you now dedicate this child to the Lord for his will and his glory? Yes. And is it your purpose to bring up this child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and by prayer, precept, and example to make the salvation of her soul the chief end of all your dealings with her. Amen. Well, brother, will you prefer to retain Leah? Or This gets to be a scary part for me. Mom is close by. If you'd stand together with me.
It's a privilege now, Leah, to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we bow before you in the name of a risen and a victorious Savior. Lord, we come and in many ways we can tremble as we think of our own children and the days in which they live and will be reared. And yet greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. You are indeed able in any generation to make our homes as the days of heaven upon the earth. We pray today for Armin and Melanie that you'll give them grace in their example and in their active teaching before Leah and the other children. Lord, we know some of the peculiar trials and difficulties that rest upon the minister. And even in child rearing, something of the glass house. Well, you're greater even than these difficulties. And so we pray that your hand will be upon this home. And that from an infant, Leah will know the scriptures that are able to make her wise unto salvation, which is by faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, bring her early to faith in your will. Preserve her from the scars of sin. And may she be able to recite in years to come, the lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. So, Lord, we pray your blessing and your protection upon this home and this little life. In the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. You may be seated. Leah, you've made me very happy. I hate it when they cry. I feel responsible. Brother, the Lord bless you. I'm going to ask a brother Overly to come and lead us in a closing hymn. We'll stand once again. 731. 731. Oh, give us homes built firm upon the Savior.
grateful for the privilege that has been before us in these moments. And we come and again ask your special care and blessing upon the Tomassian home. And for Leah, again from an infant, to know those scriptures able to make her wise into salvation. Lord, challenge and encourage our own hearts in each of our homes, whatever stage of life, whatever problems, whatever history, that there is gospel grace for one and all. And help us as we individually and in our homes strive after you to be of help one to another, to be of help to this home in the things of God. We pray and ask these things with joy and expectation in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.